Welcome to another edition of the Let's Grow podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Fabian, and we're doing something special this time around. We had Lance Parker on regarding cryptocurrency and stable toys, but because of the amount of requests that I got to go in more depth with him about a lot of subjects in cryptocurrency, we're shooting a special in-depth version of the Let's Grow podcast. So very happy to have Lance Parker back on from bankx.io, the stable coin that pays you interest. Uh, thank you for being here, Lance. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks, Fabian. Last time we spoke, a lot of people reached out to me, like I was saying, and they're really intrigued by some of the stuff you were saying. And I know we only had enough time to touch on kind of the, the, the tip of the iceberg, like I mentioned in the last episode, but there is a lot more to it. And I think a lot of people would get really good information from having us kind of go to a, do a deeper dive. Sure. Yeah, I look forward to it. So when it comes to stable coins, for those that know about stable coins, especially now after watching the previous episode, I know something just came out today, like actually today, about the future of crypto of digital currency. Right. Do you want to do you want to yeah. touch on that a little bit? Yeah, just a little. I mean, it's a big report, and there's a lot in it, Fabian. But it it basically the uh, the Bank of International Settlements put out a CBDC report and they've been working with the seven, seven central banks in the USA, EU, England, Japan, Switzerland, Canada, and Sweden. And it basically outlined their ideas for a central bank digital currency, which, which is a lot different than what we're going to have in, in bank X. I think, you know, you and I were talking about it before and uh, just before we started, and one of the, the big statements that stepped out and I, uh, uh, that sort of stuck out, and I'm paraphrasing a bit, but it, it says that stablecoin adoption will re- could result in excessive market power and deposit disintermediation that could risk pose a risk to CBDCs. So they do look at it as, okay, this, this could dramatically... Uh, uh, cause an issue to banks um, and deposits, which we've already seen, right? Because the uh, uh, DeFi had what ten billion last year, and we're about one hundred and twenty billion right now, and that's all coming off of banks, uh, any bank's balance sheet, right? So they they clearly show this as a uh, as a threat, and you know what do you do when there's a threat? You know, look at regulation. And the regulations all around, um, you know, this idea of uh, claiming that, you know, we need to know that uh, stable coins are safe, right? Like, because we don't know that, <laughs> we don't know which ones are safe, right? So, yeah, to me, it sounds I, like they are laying the platform or the foundation in that language. It shows me that coming up here in the near future, it's not only going to be a battle against cryptocurrency, because I feel like... Uh, the governments have already kind of lined out the deficiencies in cryptocurrency or the reason why they're taking so much issue with it, which is the volatility and they're saying people can lose their money. So I feel like they're going the route of we're just helping people by trying to regulate it. Yeah. Stable coin, since there's no volatility, they can't hit it from that angle. But what angle can they hit it from? And this sounds like this is the angle they're going to take to come against stable coins as well. Yeah, I think so. It, it really, like, to me, this is the most interesting, uh, actually, all of cryptocurrency is interesting, but but the idea of a stable coin with cryptocurrency characteristics, sort of like the killer app in cryptocurrency. So, you know, there, even the SEC talked about in it where um, we're really concerned about what's backing it. Um, you know, is it bonds, commercial paper, and the Tether example? And I, when I saw that, I kind of laughed a little bit because I was like, well, what's backing the US that's, dollar? That's right? exactly so, what I thought as soon as you said yeah, that. Yeah, when I said that, yeah. So um, the other interesting thing, I, I, I mean, we could talk a lot about this, this favor, but they, they outlined plans for adoption. Um, they talked about how they see CBDCs as having a tremendous impact on public policy. So using money as sort of a political tool or leverage. And they came up with sort of three categories that they thought they, it's a term you're gonna hear a lot around CBDCs 
called ESG, which is environmental, social, and government governance. And they have a whole list of things around those categories of what they want to do to incentivize or discourage or force um, people within that. And they even talked about in, in this Fabian where they would have two classes of currency. One sort of like, I, I, they didn't say it this way, but I sort of took it as it would be this internal currency that they could move around between banks and do settlements. And then there would be this retail currency that would have different uh, capabilities. And you know, to me, that's okay. That's a tracking mechanism, right? And on the retail side where sort of the other, so you have the elite class with their, mm -hmm. right? With their currency. And then you have the, um, the commoner. With, I mean, with their, right? it makes sense if you're trying to not only keep control, but widen it is create two classes of money. That's never been done before. I mean, as, as far as in modern times that I can think of, especially with the US dollar, it's pervasive all over the world. A dollar is a dollar, no matter if you're rich or poor, yeah. but if they can separate those into two distinct different kinds of currencies that have different usabilities, that's that's huge. Yeah, it, it's, I don't know. We still don't know a lot about it, but it to me, it just means that there, there's one currency that they have certain right? Because currencies are going to be programmable like they are now. So we can program certain things on, on one currency. It can still have the same value, be under the same sort of blockchain. But one currency has some, some things that you can do or not do, and the others wouldn't, right? So they, they even talked about in the paper where if there, was, if there was times of sort of economic issues that they could programmatically stop you from spending a certain amount or holding a certain amount. So, you know, there, there's, there's a, this is a, there's a me, lot there. This is a, it's a scary That's idea. A rabbit hole, yeah. <laughs> right. So I'm not saying they're going to get this, but it's, you know, the, the central bank, I think, you know, has, has tremendous power within countries. And, and so this is, you know, this starts to, I think, grab hold a little more. And we talked about last time where, you know, sort of wreck the fiat system to bring in a new one. And they're pretty clear about what, um, what they want to do. Which, uh, which gives the stable coins and, you know, similar to the one you're making uh, all the more reason to, for people to get on board and, and as early as possible, because if we, if we become part of this whole system, that they can't shut down because it's decentralized. Well, in, in the case of your stablecoin, it is decentralized. No one could take it down. Then they're essentially hedging against the future that that would happen, what we were talking about. Yeah, I, th I think we should let the market decide. Like if people want to use a, a CBDC, which there, there, there will be people that, that, that there will be, right? I mean, it's going to be uh, sort of forced in, in some or, or most instances, but if there's alternatives, it, it would keep them sort of from overreaching. I think that's always what we worry about is- It's, um, it's purely capitalistic where, okay, government wants to do something. Well, just let's let the private industry, private individuals make something and see which one's fair is better. Yeah, exactly. Like the people, people should be able to decide what they want to do i know people that don't mind being tracked like they wouldn't mind that every transaction is being tracked uh, i mean i certainly you know you and i aren't doing anything wrong but the idea of someone just knowing you know with the you know the proposal of you know any transaction over six hundred dollars they were talking about they wanted to, to track and you know but then it's well we're really only after rich people well, like well why are you why do you need to know what a $650 transaction? So anyway, it, it's really more of a philosophical thing. I, I, uh, and I just wanted, I thought it would be interesting for your listeners to see what's happening because stable coins are, are so in the news now and the, the uh, sort of dissecting of every protocol and art, you know, is Tether really backing this and, and what's going to happen? And I can you know, certainly for... see, yeah. yeah. Last time, I know we talked about, uh, we touched a little bit about different stable coins, but uh, you're very good at kind of bringing a novice or an intermediate and giving kind of a rundown on what each stable coin is, the benefits, the deficiencies that have been uh, uncovered, and which is what inevitably made you create 
bank X. It led you to creating it because you saw deficiencies in each coin and the room in the market for one stable coin that rule, not that rules them all, but that kind of pops out as the leader. Um, Cause I know Nokia, when it first came out, no one ever thought that I knew that they'd be dethroned. Blackberry, no one ever thought that they'd have a market share that they do now. So just because there's a big boy in the room that starts early doesn't mean that they're going to be the last one or the, the main one. So uh, right. maybe you can kind of go through briefly each stable coin, what they did, what they introduced to the market and the deficiencies that makes people not trust stable coins. Well, we, they don't trust. Yeah. There's not one that everyone could say it with consensus. Yeah, that one is the best. Yeah, yeah. So sort of a, a review of uh, where we began and, and then how it evolved. Exactly. Um, yeah, and, then we get, and then we can get into what we do with BankX. So, so the you have the physically backed stable coins, which is a physical US dollar in a bank. And then, you know, sort of in that tether example, you have, you know, is, is tether really holding a dollar for each tether that's out there? And then, you know, is, because their business model is they take your money and then they deploy the capital. And it's, it's sort of been uncovered that they're the seventh largest holder of commercial debt. And so they're lending this to companies. They lended, uh, they lent a, a billion dollars of tether to Celsius in exchange for Bitcoin as collateral. So, you know, you have some, some large lending going on and, you know, are, are some of those companies going to default? And so there's some risk there. And so I think that's why the SEC is looking at that as well. You know, you basically have a bond and that's the security, which I have to agree. If, you're, if they're doing that, it effectively is a bond or a derivative. Um, so you have this central authority and then you have a bank that, that would have sort of be this capture point of the US dollar. So that's where it began. And that's when US, USDC and some of the other sort of physical backed. So that's one category. And then that's when protocols like MakerDAO came back, came around and they said, well, instead of us doing uh, a physically backed crypt, uh, stable coin, Let's have Ethereum as the collateral, but then um, that has a liquidation problem, right? So, so if the price of Ethereum drops, then then your position, you could say, would be liquidated. And then a uh, protocol like Terra Luna came out where they used a, a dual token system to adjust the supply of the stablecoin which would make sure the price stays at its peg. So what Terra Luna will do is in the example, when the stablecoin price is above the peg, it'll allow you to burn the utility token at the exchange rate the stablecoin should be. So there's an arbitrage opportunity because you burn the utility for the, um, for the stablecoin and then you can sell it and then you know, profit on that side. And all, all this will make sense as we talk more about uh, how BankX stabilizes the price because we use a combination of all the things that make these others really good protocols and proven in the market. Um, and then there was a protocol called Frax.Finance who used a combination of all of these where they were partially collateralized and partially algorithmic. So they use the same software rules and, and coding in the exchange rate so that there was arbitrage opportunities, but also sort of the supply and um, uh, demand between minting and redeeming. So if there was, uh, if there was, ex uh, the price was above, it would allow you to mint more, basically. So increasing the supply, um, and we can talk. Actually, we we can cover that now. Is is um so in what I think makes Frax unique is it has the the components of of collateralization so that you know there's something underlying. So when we say partially collateralized with the FRAX protocol, it actually is 100% collateralized, but they're a dual token system also where FRAX will have a percentage collateral of Ethereum. So let's say an example of 80%, and then the balance of that collateral would be in their utility token. So they have 100% collateralization. And so what happens with with that system is the market actually determines the amount of collateral percentage of Ethereum. And it really talks to the faith in the system. And it's also a price stabilization mechanism. So let's say 
that the price of their stablecoin goes above the peg. So what you really have there is demand for that stablecoin. People want it, so there's faith in the system. Hmm. So the price is the price is going to go up. So what that protocol does is like anyone in the community can come to the protocol and basically call a function that would lower the percentage. So they see, so the system sees that the price of the stablecoin is above the peg. A community member comes in and calls a function and the system says, yeah, we need to create more of this because there's demand. It'll lower the amount of collateral needed for Ethereum. So more people can now mint because it takes less Ethereum, increasing the supply, bringing the price of the stablecoin mm. down. So it's a very elegant solution, I, I think, from for how that works. And, and that's an element that we that we use. And so the thing that we've done with BankX that we're bringing unique to the market is, uh, and we can talk about the, the certificate of deposit, uh, about how all that works. But when, when we sort of go through that discussion, you can see that when you, when you mint the stable coin, you're effectively staking our utility token, some percentage of it. So since you're staking that, you should earn interest on that component. So that's how the interest is paid within BankX because you're effectively staking it. So the interest is, in pay, is paid in the form of more BankX tokens. And since you're staking it to mint the stablecoin, that's how, that's how the system is able to do this. So mm. when you pledge collateral, it stays on the blockchain contract. You're in complete control that we're not taking it and um, lending it to someone else or doing something with it like some of the other, pro other which protocols. is huge because I know that's a lot. That's a big concern with people in crypto is, I'm going to give you the money and it's going to go to your, your wallet and what you do with it. And you're going to give me, um, a, I mean, a token that you created, but you're getting the bulk of the money. What are you going to do with it? So, right. Yeah. That's, that's a prime. I mean, a prime example is tether, you know, 70 billion in assets. They're using your money, just like the, the bank uses your money to lend back to people and increase, you know, get a spread on the, the rates and, mm -hmm. And that's sort of the key to the system. And it that idea came from the HEX protocol, if you want to sort of, if you want to. So yeah. there's really two components Absolutely. with BankX, right? Um, so there's the minting earns interest with this idea that we inflate the, the supply of the utility token to pay the rewards for doing what we'd like you to do, which is minting the stable coin and staking the utility token. So those are the two main sort of incentive, incentive behaviors that we're trying to create within the system, which have already been proven in the market. We just I was going to say a lot, of, a lot of it is you don't have to prove the concept, that individual concept that you've taken all these uh, from all these different protocols and, and combined them are essentially the best aspects of those each individual protocols. And you combine them all and add it to your own, you know, your own flavor. Own, own twist to it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Frame. So when you look at uh, when you look at Hex, the you and I were on a Zoom where we talked in, in depth about it already. Where it's a very polarizing protocol where some people think it's a scam and they hate it, and then there's people like us who have dug into it and understand it and and think that. I think it's brilliant because you look at central banks who are inflating their currency to do whatever they like. It's not benefiting the individual. Um, you have other protocols that inflate the currency like Bitcoin. Whenever there's a block, they're inflating the currency to pay the reward to miners. Um, so what we do at BankX and what HEX does, uh, it inflates the currency, the utility token to reward you for staking. So the metrics around hexes, they inflate their currency 3.69% and they drive the incentives for you to stake five years. So mm. within hex, they have an average staking period of six years and their average stake each year is 10% of the total supply. So they're inflating 3.69% and have a, I would be more accurate, it's like 9.8% staking per year. Mm. So they're you know, a little more than double our staking, which is removing the supply. So the whole, this whole incentive structure is actually a deflationary mechanism where the net effect is less supply of the utility token. So 10% of it all gets staked 
they inflate at 3.9-ish, so at least, what, four, 6% deflationary, about, about there. Right, so I think the exact numbers are 3.69% inflation, and then they've got a 9.8 staking rate per year. So it's, you could say it's almost a little more than double, maybe two and a half times. Mm -hmm. So, and you can see this through the, he's got, that, that protocol has some other mechanisms in it that are a little more involved about how they calculate how you can buy into the CD. It, it basically incentivizes you to go longer, um, to put in larger. Um, it's different than some of the other protocols out there that will just say, hey, we give you the token to stake and that's it. He's really, I think, proved a lot of things mathematically that, that drive this uh, staking longer. And so we, we've done a lot of those things, but, but what we've done is seeing that, you know, what are the metrics around HEX? So in BankX for staking the BankX utility token, in the BankX certificate of deposit, we increased the inflation rate to 5%. And we've taken the target um, incentives from five years down to three years. Mm. So we think there's enough. So we want to pass along, you know, what we've seen with HEX and their numbers, pass those along as rewards to the stakers because we, we think there's room there to, to do that, right? Um, and then on sort of the minting earns interest side, we, we have a similar thing. So as there's more faith in the system and there's more bank X tokens required to mint, the interest rate paid to the minters of the stable coin increases. Hmm. So, you know, talking with the developers, he's like, I see why you're doing that. It's like, yes, because if there's faith in the system, the collateral percentage is coming down we, we have uh, more BankX tokens needed to mint, then we want to give more BankX tokens out to get that out there even more, which mm. would be more in circulation. It makes sense. The more trust there is, in. the higher percent of total uh, coins out, ascending will be staked, which then it generates more. Right. It's a token distribution strategy also, right? And because the same thing with our stablecoin, we, we want as many people minting as possible. We, and part of that process is getting our utility token out there. So if more people are minting more faith in the system, there's more bank X tokens needed, then we're going to pay you more. So, so actually the more people that get involved in our system, the higher the rate would be, which is, um, which is a little different than the traditional markets, right? Yeah. The more people that want to buy something, the interest rate goes down, right? Or the exactly. more, uh, right. You know, the sort of like, um, uh, if I've got that right, did I get that right, baby? It's a, you know, it, it would seem like the bond market, the more more people that want it, there's more sort of borrowing supply than the interest rate would go down, right? So it's a similar, mm -hmm. you know, the, I don't know if I have the, the, the terminology right, but it's an interesting sort of thought process that, you know, the more people sort of coming into the system, the more that we pay mm -hmm. uh, to those. Yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of the opposite of what, people usually think because there's an there's yep. an incentive to pay less whereas in your case it's not like it, the money's coming into the system to a specific person it, it's it's decentralized so it's generating it to make it more right. of a bigger ecosystem yeah because when you look at i put something in that i'm effectively using as collateral so if a bunch of people put in collateral then well the interest rate should be low because i've got a bunch of assets already so I need to get the interest rate low to bring in borrowers. Well, that doesn't happen with the BankX system. So when the more people that come in and mint and collateralize and more faith in the system, we actually tie the interest rate to the percentage collateral BankX tokens needed. So as the, as the, the dropping of the Ethereum collateral percentage you know, comes down, the more BankX tokens. So we tie that and we'll talk more about exactly what that is, you know, mm -hmm. future things, but um, it's a little, it's a token distribution strategy. And then to sort of flip this whole interest rate thing on its head, which we're doing in many areas on the yeah. banking. And, <laughs> so. Yeah. As, as far as the peg that you use, I know you mentioned that you guys are going to peg to silver to, was it one ounce of silver? So we'll peg to one gram of silver. And right now that's because it's so close to a dollar. I think it's like 80 cents or so. And, and what's the difference between, uh, let's say, someone who say, well, why not gold? Why, why silver? 
Yeah, so, so we could choose any of those. I, I was actually, the first thought um, was that a gram of silver is so close to a dollar right now. A gram of gold, I think, is like $21. So I, I, I was trying to, you know, be close to a dollar so people could get used to that sort of amount. And then looking further into it, where you have silver is nine times the supply of gold, and then plus it's used in a lot more mm -hmm. industry. So there's a lot bigger market. It's a little more stable, I guess you could say, with with uh, when you look at precious metals. And um, and I would think it's a lot more decentralized as well because people aren't just storing it for value. It's being used in tons of yeah, different- Yeah, it's got, yeah, it's got a lot more uses. Gold is a store of value and it's used in jewelry. I can't think, I mean, I think it's used in some, some aerospace and satellite technology but yeah that's probably some other thing yeah but it's nothing like the total amount yeah, yeah nothing like silver yeah um and i think largely the decision fabian was because I, I don't think pegging a stable coin to the dollar is is going to be good long term i i agree um, with that yeah it, i just think the way they're printing money um in that report we talked about they said they thought this whole right now we're at two trillion in market cap with 200 million users in crypto. That's it. I mean, not that that's it, but we have seven billion people. I mean, we are. That's such a big area to, to grow. Exactly. This came from the. Uh, in addition to the CBDC report, there was also a Bank of America report that came out outlining them. So there were some key metrics they talked about on there where they thought that this is going to really take two decades to be mainstream and we're five to 10 years away from maturity. So we're playing that sort of five-year game where mm -hmm. we, we have this out there. And um, I think that it won't be a fiat currency peg that, that wins. It, it'll be something that is, is pegged as, to something of sort of real value, a physical asset. And I, I think traditionally money has always been, had something like that. You know, you know like uh, here's something else I just thought about right now. Uh, an issue potentially down the road with Tether is if the U.S. government does institute a digital currency, it can control the amount of inflation with the button, how much it's printed. So if yeah. Tether is back to the physical U.S. dollar, well, part of it is physical, part of it is, is literally digital already, but it's, it's, it's a fiat, still a fiat currency. What's going to happen to the U.S. dollar and what's going to happen to the backing that they've built up for it yeah i mean i could almost see where they would the government once they come out with their cbdc say like well you're just under our control now because you know you're you're basically like a bank under our central bank and you need to that's why they're talking about we're going to regulate mm. you need to be a bank and we're going to regulate you so i think the setup is there for that um so it, it's it's interesting. They're they're talking about how they want to keep the, the existing banking infrastructure in place. Um, so so I think this brings in another thing that we talked about after the podcast, the last one, is this digital wand that's going to be released in uh, this the uh, I believe the Winter Olymp Olympics in Beijing. Is that the Winter Olympic in twenty twenty two? That's when they that's the one where they banned outsiders. I think. I think, I think so. Yeah, it's basically the next Olympics in 2022. Um, that's when they're releasing the digital one. They've pretty much done with it. And so you have the sort of this report talking about how we're going to try not to affect the existing banking infrastructure and try not to hurt them. Um, there's another point we can bring up about that. But uh, China's taking a different approach where when you when you bank in the digital one, you're directly connected to that CBDC. So they'll have a mobile app that basically you spend money directly to the centralized accounting ledger. I wouldn't even call it a, a I mean, that's not really a cryptocurrency to me. It's just servers with a ledger and, and yeah. they're sort of using the marketing, right? It's not a cryptocurrency to me has to be something, you know, like a Bitcoin where it's where it's decentralized. So when you look at sort of the Belt and Road Initiative and what they're doing with the digital wand, they're, they're really setting up to take out our financial infrastructure where um, they could go to some, you know, South American or African country 
and say, oh, you need to build a port for the Belt and Road Initiative for us. And so here, download this app and here's 200 million, 200 million yen and now you owe us money. And it, it gets into that same thing of how you know, the US has done something similar where you know, we have loans with all these, these countries and we're able to sort of you know, get things from, from that country. So, yeah. so there's a lot of, I think the point of bringing this up is there's, there's a lot of these, uh, these approaches of what, what, is a, what is a digital currency going to be? Is it gonna be a mobile app directly connected to a CBDC, like in the China example, or is it going to flow through the existing infrastructure, like what the U.S. is talking about, um, or is it this different flavors of decentralized stablecoins, which the Bank X tactic is to go fully decentralized. It's a currency for people. It fully decentralizes the creation of currency. All of the assets are are crypto, you're in complete control. And we take the whole banking sort of uh, business model and flip it on its head mm -hmm. where you're, you are every, you're sort of every man in the transaction where you have the collateral. You are the center reserve. You, you create right, currency exactly. whatever you decide. Yeah, exactly. So you own the collateral, you're earning the interest, you, you are minting the stable coin, and then you're able to do a, a bunch of these things. And so I think that really, uh, I think it really, you know, wh what kind of, what kind of person's real is going to like something like this? It's, it's going to be people who see, see the differences in all this and, um, you know, will want to come in and mint the stable coin, buy collateral as they're earning interest to mint more stable coin, to earn more interest and, and leverage up really to, to show you know, big numbers in total value locked for the bank X, uh, the bank X system, and then uh, taking that and then you know going and doing what they want to do with their life, whether that's buying buying something they need, or going into crypto trading, um, or uh, buying the bank X token and staking that in for even higher yield. So you can basically determine your yield with bank X, mm -hmm. and that depends on how many times you mint. And how much and how long you stake the Bank X token? How many stable coins would you estimate are around right now? I, I know it might be a little hard, but yeah, it's a, at least the main, not not the top ones that we all know, like USDC, Tether, et cetera. But just, I mean, I guess top tier. Yeah, there's a number. There's probably ten that we could rattle off, like uh, you know, Paxos, um, USDC, Tether. Um, there's all the other ones like Terra Luna, MakerDAO, mm -hmm. um, that get, for, get further in, into that. And they're all sort of varying market caps. You know, I've seen, seen some as, as low as 20 million. And then the, you know, the obviously ones are, are up there in the, in the 70 billion mark, but, um, why do you think, why do you think there's so few stable coins compared to the amount of cryptocurrency that are around i mean there's thousands and thousands i don't even know how many thousands are, are right now probably in yeah. tens of thousands but only a fraction of I mean, uh, like you said we can probably count it on on both hands with stable coins is it that much harder to create a stable coin than it is to create a cryptocurrency well it, it involves a lot more sort of market forces and, and things like that um, i think there hasn't been you know, so when you, as you said, there's sort of been a lot of project and a lot of different tokens. There's so much innovation. Um, but I think also a lot of people haven't looked at stablecoin as, as this is a way that I can make money, right? Um, and so BankX is the first one to ever do that, where you have a, a stablecoin that, that makes you money. It's traditionally used for, you know, all the sort of, sort of use cases now for stablecoin is, okay, it's a neutral position for traders where if they're coming out of Bitcoin, they don't have to go into fiat. Um, it's used in settling up between exchanges. So I don't have to go in fiat and send, you know, $10 million to this other exchange because we've been doing that. Like we could do it in Tether or USDC. So it, it's used a lot in, in that. Or if you're a trader as the neutral position, as we described, or also arbitrage where you can be on different exchanges and using that to, to move uh, move between exchanges if you're doing arbitrage, which was 
you know, pretty big over the last several years until all those ARBs have been, have been taken out and profits have been sort of dwindled down. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, I think this, I think that's, uh, there's been innovation around, you know, how do we decentralize it? How do we keep the peg? You know, all of, all of those things, Fabian. And, and so this is the first one that I think is looking at, you know, this is something where you actually earn, earn in a system. Yeah, like that's, that. that's, that's huge. Like you said, you're turning the banking systems on its head. What, what's some of the feedback that you've gotten from the, I know you, you've, you've allowed some people in your ecosystem uh, so far to kind of get to know it, who are from, I know you have some hex people you said, and you have people from other, just all walks of, of cryptocurrency life. What's some of the feedback that you've been getting from people? Um, do they like it? Well, uh, what, what are the parts they like? Do they have issues with it? Well, I think the people who understand it first are like, there's been some four letter words like, holy, you know, we want to, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, this is going to be amazing. I'm, I'm like, yeah, I know. And then, then there's the people who don't understand it. And then when they come in and I'm able to talk through, you know, the history of stable coins, I don't know if we could call it history, but the innovation in the last three or four years and then what we're doing different, and then just what that effect is going to have on banks. And, um, you know, so I think from, from that, it's, it's been extremely positive and people want us to have that sort of released as soon as we, because <laughs> they want to, yeah. they want to get involved. And, and then I think form, you know, people that are using Hex who have seen how that really works and have profited from their sort of certificate deposit the you know crypto version of that uh, see that you know there's numbers to play in with with the the staking percentage and the inflation rate so being able to you know have a higher yield um and then sort of putting these together where you can decide how much you want to mint and then be able to take that and then stake in the in the cd at bank x it's it's uh it really sort of elevates the earning potential i think I was, I was just thinking right now part of the reason why the government do, wouldn't want something as cryptocurrency is because the government makes essentially we're all worker ants for the world and we make what yeah. we are paid they dictate the interest rates they dictate how much we get paid because you know, by controlling money supply. So cryptocurrency does it itself. And a stable coin that's doing this as well removes the volatility aspect from cryptocurrency. So the scare tactic that you're going to lose your money if you go into crypto, um, that somebody could believe it. Like I know people who say, I don't do crypto. It's too crazy. I don't want to lose my money. Yeah. But, but they're investing in stocks that they lose money all the time. But they've been led to believe the stock market's a lot safer it's not as manipulated as it really is i mean i i trade stocks every day you know that and it's yeah. one of the most manipulated things i've ever seen in my life but if you get yeah. a stable coin that has stable in the name and you add the extra function of being able to earn interest on it you remove the negative stigma of volatility and you exponentially increase the amount of interest that someone can make making them not have to be a worker and for whatever they can, but what they want to be. So, yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's sort of the people have been burned on the downside of, of crypto as I have. I mean, I've, I've had some pretty, you know, <laughs> some pretty, pretty bad ones. Right. So that's why I think silver is such a great uh, asset to track um, on that. And you're right. It is, it is, highly manipulated. And I, I think even this Bank of America report, I can give you exactly what they, they, they listed out some, some facts and figures that I think are pretty interesting. Uh, this report talked about how, what was it? I, I believe right now that institutions are 1% of Coinbase users. They own 50% of platform assets and they account for 64% of the trading volume. So institutions wow. are largely 
Um, but chain analysis had a different, uh, different take. They estimated the trading volume of institutions at 85%. Mm. So institutions are in big. So that should tell you, you know, this is the one that this is the future, but that also, as you said, this is manipulated just like the stock market, because when they move in or out, that's when, that's when all this moves. So, and, and, and there's, there's by default, it's not regulated. So it makes it easier for big money to go in and just do anything that they'd want. There, there's no circuit yeah. breakers like you have in the stock market where, you know, if a stock moves more than 10% in a certain amount of time, they'll pause to halt trading. And then essentially it's called circuit breakers. There's none of that in crypto. It's just, it could free fall as much as it needs to. And uh, yeah. So yeah. I think having something like this, it's really critical for the future. Uh, not in the success, but, but for the future of cryptocurrencies, having a stable coin that allows you to kind of get the best parts of both worlds and eliminates the negative part. That's why I was so drawn to Bank X when I heard about it, because I said, you know, you hold on a second, you're taking the bad parts of crypto and you figure out a way to actually eliminate them. Like it's, it's one of those, it's too good to be true. So that's why I started digging in and re I read your white paper. Yeah. Uh, you know, we spoke a few times and of course I was like, well, we got to have you on the podcast. And now I'm glad that we're diving even deeper because there's so much more that goes into it. So as soon as, soon as someone understands what a stablecoin is, what Minton is, how everyone else is doing it, and then you add all the extra, uh, all the extras that you've done, it's it sounds you know like this needs to be released to the world ASAP. Yeah, absolutely. I th I think um, so. One of the things we talked about was minting in the last podcast, and and so. Uh, I was talking with my mother and she said, you, you need to talk like, what is minting? <laughs> so, so um, and then I can get a little more into some of the other uh, aspects of BankX that I think are also profit potentials uh, that, that besides what we've, what we've talked about. So, and I even had another conversation about minting a friend, you know, like, I don't really get it. So, you know, minting, you, you are, creating out of thin air the stable coin. So, but you're doing this digitally. So before you come along and interact with the smart contract, you, these, these stable coins don't exist before you get involved. So, and, and you do that by um, taking your Ethereum and your BankX token and basically putting that or sending that to a smart contract where you're in complete control of it through your keys. So you decide when you want to do it. You decide when you want to pay back the stablecoin and redeem your collateral. So the minting event happens when you deposit the collateral. So that that's it's a cent. That's effectively what it is. And then when you pay back the uh, stablecoin and get your collateral, those tokens are burned, so they cease to exist in the ledger. Right. So. Um, I just wanted to make that point because I don't know and that we touched. And that's huge. Yet. I don't think people understand that you not only create currency, but when you redeem them, you remove part of that from the system. Exactly. So there's not this, uh, there's not this never ending printing of a stable coin without sufficient assets to back it up. So you know, there's always that. And it gives the, the faith in the system that if something were ever to happen to the stable coin, you could always go back and get your collateral. And that's, you know, I think that's an advantage over what they call a purely algorithmic stable coin that uses all market forces. So something could happen where, you know, these, uh, these purely algorithmic stable coins could have an issue and there's nothing, you know, unless someone's willing to buy your stable coin, you're, you're stuck with that um, yeah or or i mean the liquidation aspect i know a lot of lending like even DeFi lending or let's say nexo for example because i know coinbase pushes nexo a lot nexo will give you what 50 percent uh collateral depending on how much you have staked in it or you have you put in it and i think stable coins are a little more but if you if the underlying value of your collateral goes down then you have to deposit more money or they just sell they just sell off your your extra or some of your crypto to get you back to that 50%. Yeah, it's a it's a margin call basically. You yeah. get margin called. So uh, even though they, I mean Nexo they do it decent but that's a huge issue is like when you go back like you said when you burn it at any point in time you can you can burn it and then get back get back your collateral. That's not the case with a lot of other crypto lenders. That's the that, that's the main case. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so this is already this uh, technique that we use in BankX has already been proven by Frax um, in this partial collateral, no liquidation um, scenario. So, what BankX does, and it's already been proven with with Frax, is if there is a drop in Ethereum or uh, the price of one gram of silver goes through the roof, which I think one day will happen and sort of there's this difference between what is the actual collateral in the system versus what the system has posted it needs. So let's say it says it needs 70% uh, Ethereum and 30% bank X to mint, but we actually have 60% in Ethereum. And so someone wants to redeem. What we do is we, we restrict that redemption because we don't want to deplete the banks at the bank X or the bank X, uh, what you call it, the, the uh, blockchain banks assets when we, we don't have the appropriate amount of collateral. So then you, you would have to go sell, you know, sell it for something else. And, and then you could sort of buy your collateral that way, but we don't allow, we don't, the system doesn't allow you through code on the blockchain to just pull, pull out collateral that you can't. Um, that isn't there quite yet because of some maybe market force event or something like that. Mm -hmm. So what the system will do in times of collateral deficit is we will incentivize people with bank X tokens to bring in collateral. So let's say we needed a million in collateral. We would mint um, 1.2 million in bank X for those people that brought in Ethereum of a million. So you automatically have a 20% profit for bringing that in because- Right. So we want to keep the collateral at the posted rate. And then the opposite happens when there's a collateral surplus. So what you can do, and we, we aren't incentivizing people to remove collateral when it's, there's a surplus because we have a surplus. Well, you know, there's no reason to do that. So you can basically trade Bank X one-to-one for Ethereum in times mm -hmm. of collateral surplus. And then those Bank X tokens are burned, which then distribute back uh, value to the bank X token holder. So in one side, we're inflating to get the collateral where we want it to be. And then the other side, we're burning depending on what's happening. So I think uh, over the next several years, you know, as we get more Ethereum total value locked, that the Ethereum price is going to go up. So I don't think there's going to ever be a, uh, I mean, you know, I don't predict the future, but I just don't, I, I think if we're continuing to mint and we have sort of the, price appreciation of Ethereum, it's only going to work in our favor from a collateral uh, perspective on the um, uh, on the collateral uh, basis there that the bank would have. So um, it's very interesting and it's it's worked very well. So we copied that mechanism within BankX and that's how we avoid liquidation. So there's never any liquidation. You can stay in the stable coin as long as you want. You can leverage it up as many times as you want and, and you'll never be liquidated. You could go in 20 times and have 100% return theoretically with the, uh, with the interest rate, depending on what that is. So the more people that do this, uh, the higher the rate gets. So it's gonna be sort of this positive feedback loop <laughs> that, yeah. you, that you keep going. So, so we would, you know, our goal is the, the community members of BankX that when they come in that initial group of people, we, we want you leveraging up, we want you staking. Uh, we, we don't, you know, we don't want sort of like a, you know, one minting and, you know, sit in the stable coin. We'd like you to get our currency out there. And so that's another, it's a token, it's again, you know, it's another sort of token distribution strategy. Mm. Yeah. And, and, uh, and as far as the, the um, once you mint and you release that into circulation, you said you get essentially get interest forever or rather as long as it, as you leave it before until you burn it. Right. So in our system, each minting event has a date and interest rate and how much. And on the dashboard, you'll be able to scroll through your different minting events. And then as you redeem, uh, as a part of the collateral, you get your interest paid back in the form of bank X tokens. So it's on top of you know, sort of all that happens on redemption of your collateral. So hmm. uh, if you have the you know percent percentage posted of Ethereum and the Bank X tokens, you get those back and then we add on the Bank X tokens. So that's and, how that and, works. and speaking about, because I know this is going to be launched on the Ethereum blockchain, but 
in in a future in a version two or something, are you looking at kind of a cross chain uh, applicability or? Yeah, absolutely, Fabe. We're we're uh, once we launch on Ethereum, we're going to go right into the other EVM compatible blockchain or the other Ethereum virtual machine compatible ones like Binance. So the fees will be a lot less there, and and then we'll go to all the the other ones. I think we can even do it on a Avalanche Pulse Chain, which is coming out. So there'll there'll be a lot of uh, blockchains that we can do, and then after that, we'll we'll code this in the Cosmos SDK, which would have all interoperability with all the blockchains. So we'll get BankX everywhere. The Ethereum decision was just because th they're so big, and that's where all the money is right now. Right? It, if Bitcoin's digital gold, I would say Ethereum's digital oil for the DeFi space. So that mm. that's uh, so we want to be there to set the foundation and get a good you know, good amount of TVL as we deploy on these other other solutions. So it, it'll be everywhere, especially almost immediately on the EVM compatible chains. Amazing. Amazing. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I, I really appreciate the time that you took with us. I know you're insanely busy right now. Uh, and uh, I know you have a meeting coming up with your developers, so definitely don't want to. Yes. Have yeah, yeah no, I appreciate that. Okay. <laughs> but but I, I really appreciate that. you coming on. Uh, I think anyone listening now understands probably more than 99.9% .9 of people about stablecoin, the history, the utility, why we need it. Uh, what's the future going to hold and what kind of market forces are going to be against stablecoins and the reason why we need a foundation like BankX um, and all the good that it's going to do and people that it's going to make rich or just not maybe not even rich, but like a bit. Change their quality of life. Exactly. Sure. Giving yeah. the ability to stop being like one of those worker ants that has to do what it's told to survive. And um, I mean, I can't wait. I, I would love to do this again. And maybe talk about some, yeah, other, absolutely. some other protocols that are coming out. Um, I know that, like we said before, the cryptocurrency world is moving so fast and people like to keep up with it, but it's just hard to find good in-depth uh, places to get that information. Yeah, absolutely.